Always nice to get in a, a good rain. We only got about three inches of rain last night at our house, uh, so I'm glad we have some more. That's a lot in, in less than 12 hours, if you didn't know. We had some hail and stuff, so it was exciting. Lost power. It was, it was a good time, so now, now we get some more rain down this way. We always seem to get the weather a little bit sooner than everybody else because we're out, out west and it comes this way, uh, but that'll be good. We'll, we'll enjoy that. The garden's going to explode here in the next couple weeks, so we're excited about that, but enough about the weather. Uh, you guys remember Peekaboo? Probably not. I mean, I don't. Like, as a baby, do you remember playing peekaboo? No, because everybody would play with you, and, and you don't remember any of that kind of stuff. But that, that is one of my favorite things to do with babies. And, I, I mean, I don't get to do that a whole lot anymore because we don't have any babies in, in our house, and I'm totally cool with that. Uh, we love the three that we have, and we're, we're good right there. Um, but it, it's my favorite thing. To, and I'll do that, just confession time, I'll do that with other like strangers and stuff. We'll be out, I don't know, it'd be a sporting event or, or a restaurant, and babies will be looking around, and if you catch their eye, I don't know, you could be at Panera or something like that, somebody's baby there, I will just start, I'll just start playing peekaboo and, and do it silently, and then like start cooing and laughing and smiling and stuff, and their mom's like, who's this weird guy, you know, making faces at my kid, I wish he'd stop, you know, that kind of thing. No, I'm, it, that never happens. Um, peekaboo, I don't know if you knew this, but not only is it super fun to make babies laugh, but peekaboo is a very important part of your development as a baby. Did you know that? Like some of us, some of us, maybe, maybe we were deprived of peekaboo, and, and maybe this will help, help you to understand like why some things are the way they are in your life. But the really important lesson that we learn from peekaboo is called object permanence. I don't know if you knew that. Did you know that? I, okay, some of you knew that. It's like, of course, duh. Like, we, are, we already know that kind of stuff. But object permanence. It's a really important lesson for you to learn as a baby that just because you hide the face doesn't mean that it disappears. Like, the head is still attached to the body, and that's a good thing. Uh, there's a study that is done with, with babies um, to find out when we kind of learn this idea of object permanence, that things are still there and still attached. We can, we can know that it's there even if we can't exactly see it. Um, and it's called an A, not B test, okay? And it's about around nine months, between nine months and 12 months that babies start to figure out this idea that even though you hide the thing, it, it's, it's, it's still there or we know where, where to find it based on where we see it move. So an A, not B test, uh, um, it, they're trying to decide and figure out like when that transition happens, when we understand object permanence. So what happens in the test is there's a box that has an A on it, okay? And you put an object under there, and you put it under the box. And then you lift the box, you let the baby see where the object is, and you say, all right, where's the, where's the thing? Like, you know, where's the rattle? You know, that kind of thing. And they point to A, because they've seen it, it's there, all right? Then they bring box B, okay? And they bring box B in, and they take, take box A up, and they take the object, and they put it under box B. And then they all right, ba- you know, where's the rattle? Where, where's, where's your binky? You know, whatever, whatever they say. I don't, I don't know exactly. I'm not a scientist. And, and they, uh, an A not B error, when, they have, when a baby hasn't understood object permanence yet, they'll select A, even though they watch the object move from box A to box B. Okay, so they can watch it happen, but they still go to A because they haven't figured out, like, hey, this is how this happens. Because they're more concerned about where the object was versus where the object is. Okay. When they understand object permanence, when we under, uh, understand object permanence, then we, we understand that, hey, we watch the thing move over here like that's where we should expect that thing. When we talk about this series, call it, uh, you know, talking about being confident in our lives, 
One of the things that can undercut our confidence is when we expect to see God at work or doing certain things in places where we feel like maybe he should be, but we don't understand or we haven't been paying attention to where he says he's going to be and where he's going to be operating and what he's going to be up to. And sometimes we look for God to be in places where he never said, hey, this is where I'm going to be stuck. Or maybe in the past we've had this feeling or we've had this association or this event that's happened. You know, um, this, this amazing sunset happened, and so this, I felt really close to God, but, you know, now all the other sunsets, I don't really have the same feeling. And so we're looking for God in the sunset. That's not, he created that, right? He created that experience, and that's, that's a possibility for us to connect with him. But that, that's, that's not what God is up to. That's not the only thing he's doing. And so sometimes we have this issue with object permanence when it comes to God, and we make some A, not B errors. And one of the things that it undercuts our confidence in is our certainty. And one of the things that we need to be confident in this life and who God is and what he's doing is we need to be certain about who God is and what he's up to. And the way that we find that, that out is by paying attention to what he says he's up to and where he is going to be and what he is doing. Now, I still have some A, not B errors in my life. I'll go looking for my keys, um, and they won't be where I thought that I put them, and I have to go figure that out like I haven't figured out. Uh, one of the worst things for me, though, is my slides. I don't know if you have a nice pair of shoes, they're cushioned, you could just slide my feet on. I go looking for them, I leave them in the same place every time, and I can't ever find them there. You know why? Because everybody else in my family can wear my shoes, but I can't wear theirs. Uh, so they get barred all the time. Um, I'm always more confident when I know that something is going to be the way it's supposed to be. And when it doesn't happen that way, um, I don't always handle it that well. I, I, you know, when I go, my wife's shaking her head. No, yeah, he's right. He doesn't always. Like when I go looking for my slides, I'll just say, where are my slides? Who took my slides? Like what, what's going on here? Like where are they? Uh, Dad, you left them in the other room. It's like, okay, that's my bad that time. Um, however... You know, that's, that's one of those things that we kind of have this expectation when it comes to faith and our connection and relationship with God. That, that's kind of how, how it works sometimes. It's like, hey, God, I, I left you right over here. Like, this is, this is where I expected you to be. You're, you're not here right now. So what's going on? And it kind of leaves us with a feeling of uncertainty. And we're in this moment sometimes where we're facing maybe something incredibly difficult in our life. Or may, maybe it's not that big of a deal. Maybe it's just you, you misplaced your slides. And yet it can, it can really hurt our relationship with God the way that we feel. It can, it can, I don't know, shake our faith a little bit because we're not expecting him to be where, uh, where we think he's going he's to be. And yet, that's not exactly how certainty works. Certainty is an exercise of faith. And when I say this, th this is not limited to spiritual practice. Certainty in any area of life is an exercise of faith. We practice faith-based certainty every time we take our keys to our car, put them in the ignition, and turn. Because we expect our car to do what? To start and for us to go. Well, does that always happen 100% of the time? No, it, it doesn't. And if you haven't experienced that yet, I'm, I'm sorry, but it will happen at some point. You will go out there, you'll turn the key, and it won't, it won't work. We practice faith-based faith certainty every time that we pick up our phone and we send a text message that somebody's actually going to get the message. I don't know if you know, I, I've actually had somebody say, hey, why did you ne never reply to that message that I sent you? I, said, I never got it. 
like, really? I was like, I'll pull up my phone. I'll say, hey, let's scroll, scroll through. I promise I wasn't ghosting you. Like, <laughs> that wasn't what was happened. But we, we expect that because we send that text or we make that phone call that it did go through and that thing happened. We have, we have faith-based, faith-based certainty on those things, and we're surprised when they don't work because we all, always expect them uh, to do this. And, and our reasoning you know, is, is not unfounded in this because those things are generally reliable. And so when we come up against things that leave us feeling uncertain, we rely on those things that we are certain of on which we've established a foundation. And so, so the way this works, all right, faith-based certainty and the way that works in our life is we develop certainty through practical application and experience. Just because we enter familiar territory, it does not mean that, that which we are certain of in our faith is any less true or reliable, only that we might not be as practiced or experienced. For example, I don't have any practical experience with mountain climbing. I've seen some movies, you know, I've, I've seen Tom Cruise, you know, Free Solo, uh, uh, Rockface and one of the Mission Impossible movies. I've seen Alex Hunold, who's a real-life person who does that kind of stuff. If you've never seen that, you need to look him up um, and watch. Is it Free Solo? Is that the name of the movie? you got to watch that sometime. It is, it is absolutely insane. I don't have any experience with climbing, and I don't have any experience with using carabiners and ropes and cams and all that, that kind of stuff. And so would I be certain that I could go out with this equipment and, and climb a rock face and not die? No, I'm not at all. And yet climbers absolutely are. They're certain. They're fully convinced that when they go out there, all of those things are going to be safe. And, and it's going to be, they practice and they have experience with those things. And they are 100% confident because they use those things and they do that all the time. Sometimes people approach certainty as though, it means there's no possible way an undesirable outcome can take place. But if that is what certainty really meant, then no one would ever do anything. Because if we only approach life in terms of, I will only live my life if nothing wrong happens, then we would just not go anywhere. We would not do anything. We'd be stuck. We'd be paralyzed. We'd be in a rut in our life. Risk is inherent with the process of living. And yet that does not reduce our confidence because the certainty with which we approach our faith relies on the practical experience we participate in with God, both for this life and the life to come. No matter how bad or how good we find life in our current moment, we know that the best is yet to come because we're given the glimpses of that best as we live as disciples of Jesus. And so it's the practical application and experience that we develop as being disciples of Jesus that develops our certainty in God, who he is, what he's up to, and where he's going to be. With all that being said, let's look at our text this morning from 2 Corinthians chapter 5. And this is Paul um, describing what it means to have this certainty in life, right after talking about being persistent in living out the gospel. And here's what he says. 2 Corinthians 5, starting in verse 1. For we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, he's talking about our physical bodies, we have a building from God, an eternal house in heaven, not built by human hands. Meanwhile, we groan, longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, because when we are clothed, we will not be found naked. For while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened, because we do not wish to be unclothed, but to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling, so that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. Deep, deep, 
and inherent within our souls, we understand that um, not everything in this life is as it should be. And that not everything that we experience in this life is as fulfilling as it should be. Um, and God knows this. He created us for more. We broke it with sin, and so we miss some of those things. And so Paul is describing this process of, hey, um, e- even though these are the bodies that we have and this is the life experience that we have, we know that we were made and we were created for something more, that we, we yearn for something, for something greater. And remember, last week we talked about this process to which we are called into and being persistent in how we follow God and being disciples of Jesus, that we're not necessarily called to just the result within this life, but the process in which God guides us into. And anything that requires our continued earthly existence to be worthwhile, that is always going to be, that will always fade away, that will always never, never fulfill us inherently. And so our uncertainty, as Paul describes this, is built on the life that is to come. So here's what Paul says. He says, we know, we know that even if our bodies are destroyed, our eternity with God is assured. And so Paul is approaching life with, with a hundred percent certainty that he knows regardless of what happens to him in his life, if it's good, bad, indifferent, no matter what, he knows that there's something better yet, yet to come. And we know that Paul is certain of this because we've talked about this before. His body has been on the verge of destruction plenty of times, and yet he isn't slowing down any because he has put his faith in God to practice and experience the goodness of God that surpasses the goodness of this life. And he's seen glimpses of that time and time again as he has been faithful. And so Paul compares our bodies to tents. It's interesting because uh, Paul made tents as a job. This is what helped support him on his missionary journeys as an apostle. But he's not uh, advertising the tent as a superior dwelling or anything. If, if you've ever camped out before, if you ever enjoyed it, you know that a, the tent is a temporary dwelling. For example, with the weather we're having right now, you would not want to be in a tent. Like that, that's for a very specific pers- purpose. Um, the tent uh, is, is not something that you want to live in permanently. Um, in a few days in a tent, that will help you to appreciate all the amenities of home and being in an actual bed. It's an insecure structure. It's vulnerable to collapse and high winds. Or worse, you can be out in the woods and, you know, it's not really going to stop you from the bear who wants the food that maybe you uh, put in your tent instead of a bag up in a tree. The older we get, uh, the more difficult it is to get our tents up and down. Uh, Sooner or later, uh, however amazing the camping trip might be, we're ready to get to our home and our permanent dwellings. And this is what Paul is describing. This certainty that there is a heavenly home to go to is developed within us as we live on earth as it is in heaven. And this is the life that Jesus calls us to, is the life that he models, this is the life that he sacrificed his life for us to be able to experience through God. It is sustained in us through the work of the Holy Spirit, and we experience the results of the truth of God's work in our lives when we are faithful to live as he has called us to live. I want to read how the message, this is a paraphrase of the Bible, describes this text. Uh, because I think this is very poignant. For instance, we know that when these bodies of ours are taken down like tents and folded away, they will be replaced by resurrection bodies in heaven, God-made, not handmade, and we'll never have to relocate our tents again. Sometimes we can hardly wait to move, and so we cry out in frustration. Compared to what's coming, living conditions around here seem like a stopover in an unfurnished shack, and we're tired of it. We've been given a glimpse of the real thing, our true home, our resurrection bodies. 
And the Spirit of God whets our appetite by giving us a taste of what's ahead. He puts a little of heaven in our hearts so that we'll never settle for less. And settling, settling for less is what happens when we are so focused on the temporal that we lose perspective of the eternal. And we never have to settle for less because God guarantees that the best is yet to come. And that's what he does through the gift of the Holy Spirit. That certainty builds up the confidence we need in the face even of death. Because that's what Paul is ultimately talking about. He's not just talking about a difficult time that we might go through in our life. He's talking about the ultimate uncertainty that some of us, that some of us face and feel when it comes to the end of our life. He's talking about our earthly tents being destroyed. He's talking about um, what happens when we die. And the answer that we have within us because of who Jesus is, is that something better is coming. In college, uh, friends of mine and I traveled quite a bit together, and sometimes we'd be away from home for a couple months at a time, and we'd get tired of it. We'd just ready, ready to be back. Um, you know, I knew Renee missed me, and so I, I you know, wanted to be back for her. Um, and uh, no, it's because I wanted to be, you know, back home and, and be with, uh, be with my my, my best friend, uh, and, you know, we were, we were tired of being where, wherever we were. So we came up with this thing. We said, hey, you know, it's funny how you're in this place, and it takes a long time, and you're like, oh, we're here forever. You're standing in line at the DMV, whatever it is, it, you know, and then you think about that after you're done with that thing. Like, oh, that, that's just, that time flew by. It's like nothing now because we're way past. I mean, think about the things that you're like, oh, 20 years ago, you know, I went to, went to college or 20 years ago I went to high school or 20 years ago I was born, you know, whatever. That was such a, you know, think about all the things that have happened through that. It seems like, like it just went like that. And so we came up with this thing, this thing that said, hey, I know it feels like it's going to be a long wait right now, but really it's only going to take five more minutes. And that was kind of our mantra, I guess you, you could say, during those times where we're like, hey, we want to be home. We're kind of tired of being where we are, but we're really only going to be here for five more minutes. Um, and, and that, maybe it sounds silly uh, to you, but for us, it's something that we still refer to today. This tough time that you're going through, um, really, in the grand scheme of things, like when you look back on your life, when you're already past it, it's, it's just five more minutes. You, you'll get through it. You, you, can, you can get there because it's really going to take five more minutes. Uh, a couple of guys even started a band uh, called Five More Minutes. That was the name. They toured for, you guessed it, about five minutes. Um, but they burned brightly during that time. Every time I remember that perspective, when I'm dealing with a lack of confidence and uncertain about what's coming next, I'm reminded that whatever is going on is only temporary. And that eventually I will be beyond it and that God has always been faithful in producing goodness in whatever comes. I say with confidence and certainty because I've practically applied that in my life and I've experienced it every time. And not even, Paul says, hey, there we go. If, if power goes out, the exit lights will come on. There's going to be light in here and we can like, move to the lobby and that kind of thing. But in the meantime, we'll kind of hang out with each other uh, since we still have electricity. I think it's probably resetting right now as we go. Um, this is, these are all the things you're trained for when you're public speaking and uh, preaching, preaching sermon. Uh, but we'll kind of hang out. Um, if you feel more comfortable like going out in the rain and driving home and stuff like that, totally understand that too. But while we have, while we have power, we'll, uh, we'll, be, we'll be good to go. All right. Um, I think, I think that I'm right here in my notes. All right, so Paul, what Paul says is, 
not even, not even death can stop this, all right? And we will be with him in an eternal dwelling in just about five more minutes. You know, this, this life in, the, in, in Scripture is referred to as the blink of an eye. Um, by the way, if you've got water dripping on you, you can move seats too, uh, if, if we found a new roof leak or something like that. Um, that. That our life, you know, every year our life moves a little bit quicker, and, um, but is always toward the best that is yet to come. All right, so Paul goes on to say in verse 5 where the certainty comes from. He says, Now the one who has fashioned us for this very purpose is God, who has given us the Spirit as a deposit, guaranteeing what is to come. And I'm sure this rain is going to be done in just about five more minutes. When you understand that God has created you with a purpose and given you what you need to fulfill that purpose, you develop a level of certainty of certainty that is sustained even when it is shaken. And the gift of God's ongoing presence in our life through the person and work of the Holy Spirit is meant to give us that certainty. That is the guarantee that God gives us of what is to come and what we look forward to. In the very first gospel message ever preached, Peter and the apostles in Acts chapter 2, uh, they're, they're, uh, they're speaking to the crowds that are there, and they said, hey, Jesus is the Savior. He's our Lord. Um, you killed him. What are you going to do now? And everybody said, hey, uh, what do we do? Like, how should we respond to this? How should we respond to this truth of Jesus being our Lord and Savior? And Peter replied, replied this. He says, this is how you say yes to Jesus. Repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, for all whom the Lord our God will call. And so the gift of God's presence through his Holy Spirit is the evidence he gives us for certainty that he will fulfill his promises. And sometimes there's some confusion on what this means. I'll, I'll give you a couple examples. One is sometimes we just misattribute know what what's going on in our lives to you know God being at work or Jesus being at work but specifically God gives us the Holy Spirit to work in and through our lives and so sometimes it's like well Jesus helped me through this thing it's like absolutely there's nothing theologically inherently wrong with that but a little bit more accurately would be the Holy Spirit who God has given as a free gift to indwell me and to counsel me and to give me help and advocate for me the Holy Spirit has helped me in this life or is working in, in my life. The other thing is this. Sometimes people mistake the Holy Spirit and certainty in the Holy Spirit as, um, as a wielding of power versus the person of God at work in our life. So, for example, there are faith traditions among Christianity that will, will uh, refer to things as like, in order for you to have evidence that you are a Christian or certainty that you're a Christian, then the Holy Spirit will cause you to speak in tongues, all right? That's a big one. That's a big, big example. So in order for you to be a Christian, you have to be able to speak in tongues. Um, this isn't in the Bible. It's not something that's taught anywhere. It's not in Scripture. Um, however, this is a tradition that's, that's been brought up. And why is that? Because people... Um, sometimes mistake things and look for other extraneous evidences that, um, that God isn't necessarily concerned with. Um, not to mention speaking in tongues is always in Scripture referring to speaking a foreign language, not, um, not babbling, um, not uh, unexplained utterances. All right. Um, so how do you know, if these are some of, the, some of the things that we mess up on when it comes to the Holy Spirit, how do we know that we have the Holy Spirit at work within us? Because um, the Holy Spirit is not just a feeling. The Holy Spirit is not just a power. It's the person of God at work in our life. And well, here's how. 
If you are allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life, the Holy Spirit is our helper, our counselor, our advocate, then you can look to who you are becoming as the evidence of God's work in your life. Because that's, that's what God calls us into, is, is being more and more like Jesus. That's what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. It's what it means to be a Christian. It means for us to model our lives after Jesus as a sign that God has guaranteed our life through Jesus. It's seen in the life change that brings someone's life from being defined by their sin to being defined by God's grace and mercy. Um, for example, uh, it, is, this, is this working, like that we're continuing on and, and we're, we're going to keep going? All right. If, if God helps you win the lottery, that's great. Um, but, but don't expect like that that's the experience that you need to have for God's evidence of work in his life. And if you do, don't forget to tithe. Um, but what's really evidence of him at work in our lives is our hearts and our minds and our wisdom starts to more, look more and more like his because that's where his best starts to come into our lives. Even miracles can fall flat if our character doesn't match with who we're created to be. And Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter. He says, hey, even if, even if I speak in, in foreign languages or even if I could you know, speak the language of angels, which nobody, nobody even knows that, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. The grace of becoming more like Jesus develops the certainty of God's guarantee that his best continues to be brought forth in our lives. And when we pay attention to the leading of his Holy Spirit, we pay attention to God's word and it's living and active in our lives, we can be confident that not even death can change the hope that we have. And so Paul wraps up this, this section with verses 6 through 10. He says, Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we're away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due for us, the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. So here's what I want to do. Rather than unpacking this section of scripture like normal, I just want to read through the words uh, from a former professor of mine that he just shared uh, recently as he's coming um, to the end of his life. And, and I want to just use his words and read those as a description of what Paul is talking about in this section of verses 6 through 10. As most of you may have heard by now, on June 9th, when the surgeons opened me up to remove my colon, they found that the cancerous condition within my abdomen would not allow them to proceed. Thus, they simply closed me up. I now am at home, recovering from the exploratory surgery, but with no hope of freedom from the cancer. I have an appointment with my oncologist next Wednesday, June 15th, to see what palliative steps might be available. I cannot adequately express how much I appreciate all the prayers that have been offered up on my behalf. It seems, though, that God has chosen not to answer these prayers as most of us had hoped. I am not somehow disappointed with God, though, for many reasons. For one thing, I've lived a long life, over 84 years, and have been able, by God's grace, to do many things that are helping Christ's kingdom grow. For another thing, as I understand the biblical worldview, I do not believe that we should expect God to answer all our prayers about healing our bodies and extending our lives here in this fallen universe. 
Some erroneously believe that Christ's death on the cross was intended not just to give our spirits new life in a new universe and in a new body, but also to heal all the physical diseases that attack our present bodies. See, for example, what is called the health and wealth gospel today. No, we live in a fallen universe, see Genesis 3, in bodies that are under the inescapable curse of death. Thus, we must be ready someday to say goodbye to these bodies and to wait with Jesus in the angelic heaven for the time when he will give us new glorified bodies that are forever free from that curse. Thus, when we are facing death in this fallen world, it is okay to pray for healing and extension of life, plan A, but to remember that if God chooses not to answer these prayers, he has a plan A plus waiting for us which is Romans 8, 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed in us. Thus we are waiting eagerly for the redemption of our bodies. Hallelujah. So more than just explaining what Paul you know, has to say in verses 6 through 10, that is an example of somebody who is living it out who has practically applied God's word into their life, has allowed the Holy Spirit to guide them and direct them to becoming more Christ-like, and have experienced the certainty and confidence that comes with knowing that the best is yet to come in our lives. We all know that this life and the things that make it up don't last forever. It's only going to last about five more minutes. We also know that we will find God exactly where he says he is and will be. We learn object permanence pretty early on and that's just because and that just because that face goes behind those hands and we can't see it it's still there. And regardless of what we choose to believe, faith in Jesus is the opportunity to approach life with a transcendent confidence, a certainty no matter what life throws at us. And we can be certain that God will always be up to what he promises to be up to. That he is loving those who are near to him that he is pursuing those who are far from him, and that he offers a life that is far better and lasts far longer than any other life we could choose for ourselves. Everyone lives by faith, but everyone's faith becomes unstable when it rests on a foundation of the principles of this temporary world. And we can be certain that despite the shortcomings of this world and our longing for more, we know the best is yet to come and it will last forever. If you feel uncertain about your faith, and, and Paul talking about, we know and we're confident, we are, this is guaranteed by God, um, we're, we're the place that we want to walk through those things with you and help, help you through those things because we're, we're living out the same faith together as a church. So let, let me pray for us right now. God, um, in, the midst of, in the midst of rain and thunder and hail and lightning, which comes before thunder, and I know that. Um, God, we recognize your presence in, in things that are so much bigger and stronger and more overwhelming than us. And God, we recognize that um, in the face of, um, of your might and your power and your creation, our voices are still and small and quiet. Um, that, that we recognize in moments like this that there's something greater at work than just us than just the things that are happening in our lives. And God, help us to see that it's, it's evidence, it's a, it's a picture of, of you at work throughout the entirety of human history. 
that as you've created us, that as you have designed us with a purpose, that as you work out your will in our lives through your Holy Spirit, that we can be certain that the God of lightning and thunder and rain and creation has everything taken care of for us in this life, that we can be certain that you will do what you say you will do, that you will be where you say you will be, and that your promises will be fulfilled even if we come all the way up to the point of death, that you are there far beyond that moment in our life. And God, we praise you for that. We honor you for that. We glorify you for that. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.